0: Mm-hmm. So you're a retired firefighter. Yes. How did you get into firefighting?
1: Um, Well, I know you people hear the story. Oh, I always want to be a firefighter since I was a little boy. That that wasn't my story. Um, I got in with a friend of mine who exposed... uh, he came from a firefighting background and he exposed the whole world of firefighting to me. And, uh, I took a test with him. And because I was unfamiliar with all the stuff that you need to prepare yourself with, um, I completely did really bad. And that stuck in my mind. Uh, I think I was in my late teens, 19 or 20, something like that. And, um, I, uh, uh, later in my life when I decided to make a career change, that's when I decided I want to become a firefighter. And so I used some of that failure to kind of get myself ready and, and learn as much as I could about my profession before I actually, you know, got hired and uh, it took me six years before I got hired, Dang. which at that time was about the average. Hmm. So um, and I don't know what it is now. Um, I'm sure there are fast tracks and different routes you can take to get on a fire department uh quicker mm-hmm. but um that wasn't available to me when I when I when I tried to get on you know 29 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. And what were the steps once you knew that this was like supposed to be your career? What were the steps that you took to ensure
1: that that was going to be the outcome? Well, one of the most important things is um because the fire the profession of firefighting has changed so much um it has gone more towards medical, um, the medical side where you respond to ninety to eighty-five percent of the calls, depending on, on the department where where you get hired, um, depends on uh, provides that medical service to the community. And so um, almost every firefighter is a, at least a minimum of an EMT. Um, and so some fire departments have medics on board, you know, on the, in, the, in their department. Um, but at, at, the time I got hired, um, it was just, you had to be an EMT. So I took an EMT course through a local city college and, um, loved it. I, I did a ride along with LA city fire and through a friend of my wife's and, <clears throat> uh, within the first 30 minutes of an eight hour, uh, uh, time that I had to spend with them. I loved it. And it was not to be graphic, but I mean, w- w- my, within a half hour, we had a gunshot wound call and it was exciting for me. It was adrenaline rush. And to be able to, to do what I had learned from my EMT, um, class to actually put that into, into play, um, it kind of solidified you know, yes, I think this is what I want to do. And, um, that nowadays that's the most important because people, when they see blood or you get exposed to the smells, different smells and, and sights that if you're not prepared for that, and then it grosses you out and you can't handle it, it's probably not going to be the career for you.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, and I could only imagine you said LA, right. was, was there a major difference out there than here?
1: Uh, yes, because of the size, just the amount of people, the sheer amount of people that, that are in the L.A. area, um, you get exposed to so many more calls so much, you know, so many more times um, and, and pretty just because of the amount of people there are just just a, such a large variety of, of, of different kind of calls compared to what do we have in, in, in our area? In, in our county alone, I think we have 500,000 maybe so compared to I think L.A., is in the millions 11 million 14 million i don't know what the population is but um, you know you get to see a lot more and so yeah it's definitely different with a larger department more calls more variety of calls even if it's if it's the same type of a call if it's a heart attack or or a vehicle fire they they're all They're even though they're the same type of call, they're going to be different. You know, mm-hmm. and, and every, every, time you go, you don't know what to expect. And did you start your <clears> career <throat> over there or was it just a ride along? It was just a ride along um, because when you take your, when you take your EMT course, you have to do at, at the time I did it, you had to do um, 12 hours at an ER and an eight hour ride along or longer. And so I was able to do a fortunate able to do it with the LA city fire
0: interesting and what are they called um are they called booters is that what
1: they're called when they're new or no um well I rookies they're R- yeah they're rookies. rookies but different departments might have different oh, signs for that yeah. um, fngs are yeah. sometimes what you call um uh, the new guy or new person mm-hmm. um, but mainly rookies as well really oh, or probie um, is another, uh, or candidate is another one. If you are a a, a candidate, you're actually not a full blown firefighter yet. So So
0: what was your experience going through that training? Like the intense training behind being
1: a firefighter? Um, it's pretty intense, but here, here's a way to kind of see like what the test is going to be like, what the experience is going to be like. Um, a lot of city colleges, especially in California offer a firefighting, um, I don't know what they call it now but uh, a firefighting academy mm. and what it is it's a college course it's usually a year uh sometimes they're shorter because they um they accommodate people's work schedules you could go to just a weekend and then it winds up being a full year you could go to one that is every day um and then it's it's usually half a semester or a semester long um but but what they do in that class is they teach you from the beginning to the end of the class they teach you about fire behavior. They teach you the principles of, of fire. They teach you everything you would know need to know, and as well as like how to fold hose, how to lay hose, how to catch a hydrant, um, uh, how to how to don your equipment, your your turnouts, as well as your BA bottle, which stands for breathing apparatus. Mm-hmm. Um, they they teach you how to do all that, and so it's like a fire academy you would get if you got hired by a fire department but it's not specific to that department or to a particular department. They show you how to load half a dozen, a dozen different types of hose loads in in old fire engines because different departments have different requirements on how they need to load their hose because of various reasons. Maybe they don't have the water pressure in their community, so they have to use bigger hose, or maybe they have really, really good water pressure, but they have to use bigger hose because they have long distances to travel. So it's just, they they try and give you an overall look of what it would be like to go through a rookie academy. Um, and so it gives you an eye opening of, of what to expect so that when you do get hired by a fire department, you've already done everything. You know what to do. You know what to expect. It's just fine tuned to that specific department. Maybe they use X kind of uh, breathing apparatus. Maybe they use Y type of a hose load, you know? Um, and so you learn that their specifics, but it's a lot harder uh, when you actually get hired because you have that pressure. because you, you can make a mistake and there goes your chance.
0: Yeah. I was about to ask, what is the culture like once you enter into the department?
1: Um, they don't want you to fail. They, they don't, they, they, they break you down. Um, you know, they tease you and they, they kind of, you know, break you down and then they build you back up like, like the military would do. And it is a paramilitary organization. There is a rank, uh, status, um, and you're at the bottom, uh, but um, <clears throat> they want you to to succeed because they've already spent, depending on the department and their budget, they've already uh, spent fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars on you from the time they've tested you. You've gone to a written test, you've gone to a physical agility test to do a background check on you from you know by the local uh, sheriff's or police department. So they've spent a lot of money on you already. Um, And so they don't want you to fail, but they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, hold your hand through the process. You have to, you have to, you have to uh, perform, you know, you have to perform, you have to do, you know, what you're taught. They do give you, um, and I should say it's, it's department specific, but they will give you uh, a verbal warning or written warning. And you do have a chance to, um, to do remedial and to whatever you're, you're deficient in, let's say it's learn you have to tie knots or something. And if you don't do well in that, you do have an opportunity. Most departments will give you an opportunity to do that. Um, the, the more intense, the more competition there is in a department like a big, a big department like an LA City or LA County those opportunities are less. You might have one chance to make one mistake and that's it or no mistakes. You blow it, you're gone because there's so many more guys and gals that are waiting to get, you know, to get hired. They have, they can pick the cream of the crop.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because of the fact that there's people's lives at stake, right? There's buildings and structures that are at stake and you want to make sure you have the most qualified people. Right. And you mentioned that it's very like science based, can you explain, from your knowledge, how would you professionally stop a fire of any size?
1: Well, so there's the fire tetrahedron, and w- which is what, one of the things you learn. And the way fire is is uh, created, you need heat. You need a a source of fuel, whether it's wood, paper, gasoline, whatever. That's your source of fuel. You need um, oxygen to so you can complete the triangle. But then you also need Something that puts those together to make it to make it you know to make fire, um, and so that's the the chemical chain reaction, and so <clears throat> the physical chain reaction as well. And so, you take one of those parts away, you take the fire, the heat away, you take the fuel away, or you take the oxygen away, and that's how you stop a fire. So, what's the most common element that we have on Earth? water and it's the cheapest and as well as when you put that on something that's burning there's no chemical chain reaction that that puts off a um a toxic um odor or a toxic gas or toxic smoke in the air except what's burning but it doesn't add anything that could be toxic to, to the people around you to the firefighters to the to the the um earth the, the environment um one of the byproducts is steam once you put water on it but there's nothing negative about it it's easily trans uh transported in the back of a fire engine in the, in their tank or through the 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 metal um piping that is you know connected to fire hydrant so it's cheap it's inexpensive it's um readily available and there's no you know um no effect to the environment. And so that's why we use water.
0: Yeah. This is a common question. It might be a dumb question, but I'm asking it because of your expertise. What What is the reason behind <clears> not using ocean water? Is it because the, the salt in it?
1: Yeah. Because of the the salt will corrode the tanks in the, oh, the, see. the actual tank that is on a fire engine. If your fire engine has a, a tank, most fire engines I know in the department uh, that I work in, and um, the the departments I work around have at least a 500, 750. Some of the the smaller fire engines might have 250 gallons of water, um, and they used to be metal. Um, now they're they're made out of a poly uh, you know material, plastic material. Um, and I don't know if that's better or worse, but that that would be a way to get away from. Um, metal parts with salt water corroding, but you also have the pump that it actually has to go through, which is actually all, it's all metal. Um, And then as well as you have the hose, which is made um, nowadays, I think they're made of synthetic and they used to be made out of cotton with a rubber lining. And so that salt will erode that. Um, at the end of each hose is a coupling and those can be made out of uh, metal. When I was working they're metal, I'm sure they still are. Those can corrode as well as <clears throat> the nozzles are all made out of metal as well. And so those can corrode. So it's mainly a corrosion issue. I want to keep that to a minimum.
0: Dang! And what about? I've seen planes drop like a red dust on fire. What is that?
1: That's a fire retardant, mm. and and that is what usually happens is when a a uh, an air tanker uh, they have to land it at a facility that can ref- refuel them or replenish their water supply or their their whatever they're dropping, and so it's it's a it's mixed with water and it when it lands on the, on the ground or on the vegetation, it's like, um, it's like snot. It's sticky. It's, it's gooey. um, It's pink. It's actually a pinkish Mm. color or it turns pink, Um, but it's made so it'll stick onto things. And there's a lot of water retention in that. And so that is what prevents whatever it lands on from burning. And usually it's vegetation. And so it sticks on there. Um, even though you do a fire drop, uh, uh, an air tanker comes over and, and lays some retardant down. Um, the fire can still um, evaporate some of that water content that's in that material, <clears throat> and so stuff can still burn. It'll just slow it down. Mm. So it does. It's not a foolproof. You can make. You can do multiple drops and make that swath of red coated vegetation a lot larger. But as that fire hits the leading edge of that vegetation, it'll burn some of it, but it may not burn at all. It just depends on how intense the fire is. Mm.
0: Did, did you need to get water, by the way? No, I'm good. Perfect. So do you remember your first, like um, the, like your first fire, like a big one, maybe? <clears throat>
1: um, gosh, I'm trying to think, I mean, I've had many fires. Mm-hmm. Um, but not compared to a bigger department like an LA, an LA City, LA County Department. Um, m- my first department was a small two-station uh, department um, in the county that I, I live and work in. Um, <clears throat> and it was in that, it may have been a car fire, um, but I'm not, I could be positive. But if it was the car fire incident that I'm thinking of, it was a VW camper van. And it was in the middle of the night and it was off of the freeway. They pulled over, the couple had pulled over. The vehicle was completely involved. And because it was one of the Westphalia camper vans, it had a propane tank on it that the uh, propane, you know, was used for cooking. And on those propane tanks, they have to have a bleed off valve so that if they do get in contact with fire, so that the vessel doesn't rupture completely Um, when it gets to a certain level, this, this valve opens up and allows the the, the propane to come out. Well, it came out like a rocket and I had just stepped away because I didn't know that there were propane tank underneath there. And there was probably about a four or five foot long blue flame just shooting out for Almost a full second, and then it stopped, and that got everybody's attention. And I remember I was just standing right there. That's crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. and the, <clears throat> the equipment you use and the like the firefighter gear is that uh, like flame
1: retardant? Is it meant to? Yes, yes. So it's it's meant to protect you from from one from heat. Um, and there's so many materials. When I first got hired, it wasn't you didn't get protected that much from heat. You could feel you could feel the heat. You definitely can feel the heat even nowadays with that on there. Once you put the equipment on, you immediately start to sweat already. So you're already taxing your body and your body starts heating up. Plus you have a hood that's, that goes over your head that protects your cheeks and your face, uh, your neck and your forehead and, and, and all around your face, except for where your, your eyes are, um, because you're going to be putting a mask on. Well, when I got hired, we didn't have those hoods. They weren't, they weren't even, you know, invent it. <clears throat> so you could feel the heat a lot quicker and a lot sooner, and you couldn't take as much heat. Nowadays, the gear, <clears throat> excuse me, the gear they have now, uh, it's lighter, it's uh, more fire resistive. The insulation stuff, the material that they have, um, it's like a thermal barrier, it, you can actually be in a fire that's hotter than the gear I, I first came on board with. And so you could, and because of the hood, you don't feel that heat as well as when you're breathing the, uh, compressed air on your, on your back, on your B, your BA. Um, it's cool air because as it's, it's compressed and as it, it, uh, goes into the system and the regulator and you breathe it, it it's cooled off as it expands and so you're actually breathing cool air. cool air so yes you're sweating and yes you can feel the heat but you know you're not you are uncomfortable only because you're you're, you're sweating from the inside you know it's hot and now you got to go to work and do something you got to put out that fire so but yeah that equipment it, it, it won't protect you from getting burned. Because you still can't get burned. That material, the outer layer, the, the shell—they call it—that will uh, deteriorate. And if you take a significant amount of heat, that piece of equipment, whether it's your pants or your coat, um, has to be um, has to be not destroyed, but it's no longer usable for to protect you for another fire. Yeah. So, ha- have you been burned before? <clears throat> um, I have not. Yeah. I have not. Um, but there have been uh guys and gals in my department that have been burnt not not significantly but little burns around before we had hoods your bottom of your earlobes were the first Mm -hmm. thing to get burnt um so they would have uh burned earlobes uh sometimes the back of the neck um little things like that um but i have not i've been fortunate
0: yeah and with uh sorry i'm gonna move this really quick just so it doesn't fall my ocd was kicking in. oh that's okay I got it too. So with firefighters, right? Or firefighting and, and being a public servant, there comes fatalities. And I'm sure you've, you've seen and witnessed some. How does that feel when you see a fatality?
1: Well, <clears throat> there's, I, I, for me, I, I can put it, and I put it into two categories. Um, first of all, there's the fatalities from your coworkers. And those are the hardest, um, just because you, the people you work with, it's, it's like no other job except maybe something in the military. If you were in a special forces or a special unit or, or go to combat with, with, with other, you know, friends and people that you, that you work with and meet. And it's like that because you live with these people 24 hours a day, you know, multiple days sometimes if you're on, um. If your department has brush trucks and they go to wildland fires, you could be with the same group of people for two weeks easily. Um, and so, you know, these people, they're like your brothers and uncles that you never had or your aunts and your sisters that you never had, and they become part of your family. And, you know, I say you have your your immediate family, you have your in-laws, and then you have your fire family, and it's usually in that order. Um, and so... You know what's going on in their lives, so when you lose a coworker like that, it it hurts. It it it, it really hits you hard. It's like losing a family member. When it, it comes to the public, because over the course of you know, 28 years, you know <clears throat> you you see a lot of death. I've seen a lot of death, and you get numb to it. You and when you seen your first one, that's probably the hardest, and you probably have a hard time getting over that. But once you get over that um, and you see the next one and the next one and they start adding up, you kind of get numb to it until something triggers you like maybe you have kids and you see, you know, a a call or, or, or you go on something where there's fatality with a child. Those are the hardest because you can relate to that. Everybody can relate to that. And so those tend to be the hardest or if it's just somebody or something, the situation reminds you of something that you've gone through or, or experienced. Those are the hardest ones to get through. And some people, fortunately, I, I don't have nightmares, but those can haunt you. Um, But also at the same time, I think nowadays um, I've known in the, the latter part of my career, our department and many departments have, um, we have like counselors that we can go to for PTSD because PTSD and 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 not dealing with it can really can really mess you up and at when i first got hired it was we didn't talk about stuff like that you know the the guys that want to talk about it we joked about the call um, on the way home, the way back to the station, we joked about it at the station and maybe joking about it is not the the right term, but we talked about it, but in a joking way, just to keep it light. Like a coping mechanism, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. Like a coping me- mechanism because we didn't, we didn't know about PTSD back then. And then as it came from the military and got passed into the civilian life, um, then that's how we kind of were open to that. And at first the guys weren't, weren't very open. You know, most of the guys like, no, we don't need to talk. We don't need to see a counselor, we'll deal with it in-house in house and at the fire station with our crew. And maybe the other three crews are the two crews that are with us or, or the, or the guys and gals that were the, that were the crew that was on the call. Maybe they'll do something like that, but um, that didn't seem to get the job done. And so <clears throat> uh, professional counselors came on board and, that has helped so many guys because although my department's a small medium-sized department um, most of the fatalities that i have experienced with co-workers have all been suicide related um, because of ptsd issues and or after they they've retired and those ptsd issues have haunted them yeah and and i've I in fact I don't I don't think knock on wood, my department still has not had a online uh duty of death um in a long time is you know at least over 30 years. Yeah. So so most of, so that's really good because as on average, the nation, the US has around a hundred fatalities a year. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less. And our department, like I said, it's been really lucky that we haven't had any.
0: Yeah. That was actually going to be my like question after you said the fatalities is like how departments, uh, help you cope with that. And it would make sense, right. To do that. Cause if you're sharpening, uh, your physical strength and, and maybe, um, your mental, I would say, I guess that goes in with dealing with it, but yeah, the emotional aspect of it and the mental aspect. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, yeah. man. And how do you, are there certain like calls that affect you differently? I know that there's like frequent flyers, which is I'm sure at a point gets very irritating for firefighters as like commonly known in some articles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the frequent flyer is, <clears throat> it's a term that's used and, and I mean, it, it makes us sound unprofessional, but, but w- what it is, it's a person that you go on multiple times. Um, and it, sometimes it's the same reason. Sometimes, most of the time it's not, but multiple times you're all, you're seeing the same person. And, those can be irritating, and everybody's different. I mean, the fire department's like a microcosm of of humanity. So you have guys that can deal with it. you guys, you have guys that and gals that don't deal with it. you know, they see the person three times and they don't they you know their attitude changes on, on how they respond to that person. but for for me, um, when you when we would go on a call when it's someone, that we go on very frequently you you can kind of see why sometimes you can kind of see why you're going back several times um sometimes it can be a a person an older person an elderly person they don't have anybody you know they're calling because they just want some human contact and so when you can see that and you can get outside yourself and, and, and see that that's why this person is calling, it kind of changes your attitude. You know, it's like, okay, you know, we're professional, we're, we're providing a service, kindness and humanness and humanity is part of our service. And so then you you change, you know, your, your attitude and your tune about it. Um, But it, it takes, and here's where I think females in the fire department are hugely um, help us as males cross that line and, and be able to, to say, Hey, you know, this person's not just calling because, you know, they have nothing better to do. They're calling because they want some humanity. They want, they want to talk to, to somebody. Um, but um, then you get the, the person that they actually have legit health issues and Unfortunately, maybe they're not in in a hospice-type situation or don't even know about hospice, and they're going downhill, and so they're calling you on a regular basis. Um, So it can be be different issues. You just have to be aware of what those issues are. Sometimes it can be homeless people, and so those are a little more difficult only because there's no place for them to go. There's nothing they call because, you know, they, we are their only, their last resort. You know, they don't have family members many times. They don't have the economic um, ability to to seek medical attention all the time. And calling 911 is their doctor, their, their nurse, their checkup, their everything. So it, it can vary.
0: Yeah. That you answered that beautifully because I know how sensitive it could be because yeah, they are people. All these frequent flyers are people. So you have to address it in that way. So the way you answer that was very, very like professional and beautiful. So kudos to you and the way that you, you handle that and think about that. That was actually really wonderful to hear.
1: Well, I think like I I started to say, a, a lot of that has happened by our mission statement in my department, you know, professionalism is one of the biggest things we try to push, but also integrity. But, you know, we are, we provide a service. We provide a service to the community in which we work in. And if that is not putting out, you know, a fire or rendering medical aid, it's just being a human being to another human being, you know. And and I, I think sometimes we lose, we lose sight of that, especially in a bigger department where there's so many calls. And, you know you don't want to go on that frequent flyer because you want to be available. So you can go on that structure fire, you know, and it's not, it's not always about just the structure fire. It's about the call you have right then and there. And that that person or those people that you're trying to help. Yeah. And also I wanted to ask you about emotions when you're
0: on a call and let's say there's fatality or someone's injured and <clears throat> you have to be composed how intense or how like difficult it is is it for, for a firefighter to stay composed for, um, either the victim or the victim's family? Cause they have to be the ones being like, Oh, everything's going to be okay. They have to like hold that standard.
1: Yeah. E- everybody's different. Um, everybody reacts to things differently because of everybody's ex you know, personal experiences. Um, <clears throat> but generally speaking, um, the captain or the medic, if, if the, your department has a medic on, uh, on board with you, they're going to be the ones that are going to be calling the person, that, um, and I don't mean calling them on a telephone. Making the call that this person has expired, um, <clears throat> and then as well with the sheriffs that that the, you work in work with, the sheriffs will will be calling the coroner, um, and most captains most it's a difficult thing to do as a captain but you will have to make um, you or the medic will be making the notification to the people some agencies um, they require the the sheriff's to and also some captains might require the sheriff to to go ahead and they'll wait for the sheriff to get on board uh, get on scene it'll it just depends on the situation if there's other things going on in the community if there's engines out of place and so the fire uh, company needs to leave then they might let the, the sheriffs do, do that. But as far as to answer your question, as far as the emotions, Oh my God. Um, everybody's different. Everybody handles it differently. If you have a rookie in your, in your crew, that might be the first time they see somebody and they take it differently. They could be, it could not phase them to where they need to step out. They need to step out because they're going to lose it or they just can't handle it. And it's the first time they've seen something like that. So everybody's different. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, I mentioned uh, before, if it's a child that that's really difficult. Um, and that affects pretty much everybody. I mean even even our youngest guys that don't have families, it affects them because they have nephews and you know maybe brothers and sisters that are that are young. So um, those are the most difficult. And then also if it's an elderly person, if, if you can relate to that elderly elderly person because they remind you of, a family member, then those can be difficult as well. But it's, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. Um, just on a little aside, my last couple of days before I retired, I, my, you know, the captain I worked with, I, I said, Hey, I'm retiring. I don't want to see any more dead bodies. And, sh- you know, sure as, as uh, you know, I shouldn't <laughs> said anything because I jinxed it because within, tw- you know, 20 minutes, you know, from starting from when when I got on duty, we had a fatality. We want, I wound up having four fatalities that day. And my firefighter, my captain, I should say was, um, was my firefighter at one time and he was promoted to captain. And so he was my captain for the day. And so he actually goes, he actually told me, Hey, hang out here for a second. Cause I go in, I always go in. I usually bring medical bags and and, and I'm a path mule and I'll bring all the, all, as much gear as I can. And, um, <clears throat> and so I I was going to go in and he goes, you know what, wait right here by the door. Let me go see if we need you. And we had a medic on board. So it was the medic and the captain went in and, and uh, he said, let me just see if we need you. Cause I know this is your last day and I know what you said this morning. So let's just wait. And Luckily, all four fatalities, I did not have to go in and see any more dead bodies because they stay with you, you know, not all of them, but some of them do. And that builds up after a career. So 28 years. Yeah. 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 And most, the average career for a firefighter is between 25 and 30 years. Um, And that's just because that's how you, that's how you accrue a full pension. But on top of that, that's you know, mentally and physically about the limits of your body.
0: Yeah. I was about to ask you, this is a question from my professor uh, at UCSB because she did a study on firefighters, right? <clears throat> so with all these like mental, physical, and emotional tools, um,
1: how do you avoid burnout? That's a good question. Um, a lot of it depends on your own personal uh, talents and, and interests that you have. Um, and it also Helps if the department has other, has different avenues for you to go to. Um, A smaller department might not be able to offer you too much. A two station department, where I first started, might not be able to offer you too much. Fortunately, a big department like LA City, LA County, there's tons of different. Um, not projects, but, uh, divisions or, or specialty teams you can go on, you can try to get into, and that can keep you motivated for a long time, as well as promoting through the ranks that can keep you motivated. Um, I'm fortunately in a, like I said, a small medium sized department and we have a helicopter program. We have a USAR program. We have a hazmat program. We have a water rescue program. Um, we have, um, the investigation bureau you can go into. We have so many different programs for the size of the department that we have. There's a lot to keep you um, interested as well as throughout any department, you're going to have stations that are rocking. They're busy all the time. And then you'll have the other end of the spectrum. They may get one call a cycle or one call a week or one call a month. And so you can, um, you can promote or you can bid to those different stations depending on you know what your burnout level is. Most of the slow stations, people will, will bid to those stations so they can study for the next test. They can study for the engineer's test. They can study for the captain's test. They can study for the BC test. Or maybe the crew at that slow station, they want to learn from that particular person because they're retiring and they've got multiple years of, of of expertise and, and experience underneath them. They want to learn from that person before they retire. So that's usually why guys will go to slower station. And also because they're busted up and broken and they can't, maybe they got one good, good call that they can give hundred percent, you know? And so to try and stretch out their longevity into the department, they go to smaller stations that have less calls that they don't get beat up at and they can survive another year or two that's crazy but yeah there is a lot of you have to be self-motivated as a firefighter you have to have ambition and you have to have uh, intuition and you have to get out there and you've got to be the one that steps up and and don't ask to empty a trash can because it's full don't ask you know should i mop the the should i clean the bathroom because it looks dirty do it just get up and do it because people will notice your crew will notice because they'll say, Hey, you know, did, did you, uh, they'll ask the other crew members, not the rookie. They'll ask the other crew members, Hey, did you clean the bathroom? No. Oh, well then the rookie must've cleaned it. And, and that's how people know. Cause it's such a small station. You know, most of the stations are small. They're like the size of a, a large home and you could be sharing it with anywhere from three to six people or larger. If it's a, if it's a task force station and things get done and you have, you have chores that you're supposed to do, but you also do, you'll help other people do other things, you know, and that's how it's teamwork.
0: That's so awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and also what were the roles that you played uh, within your department? Cause I, I know you switch roles. I think, I don't know if it was you that mentioned you worked on the engine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when you get hired, this is pretty basic, but when you get hired in a fire department, you are a rookie for a year. That rookie year might start as soon as you get out of the academy and, and hit the floor, which means when you hit the floor, it means you go to a station, and get a station assignment. It can start there. Sometimes some departments have your rookie year, however many long weeks that is. Um, it could be 14, 18, 16, 20 weeks. Those weeks get added into your, your rookie year. So it just depends on the, on the department specifics but you're usually a rookie until that time period has ended. And then there are quarterly tests throughout that that time period. Um, And every department's different, but this is what my department does. And so you do have uh, chances if you are deficient in certain areas, um, then there's a process. You usually get a verbal and then a written. And then if you haven't Corrected that deficiency. Usually out, and that's the only time we can really get rid of a person um, is in that rookie year because they're learning and they don't know what to expect, and we don't know them because this is the first time we've met this person. Unless you maybe were on the interview board and you actually got a chance to interview this person, but you don't know them from from you know somebody off the street. So you're trying to judge this person's character and their integrity, and so. It, it's, it's a time for both parties to kind of get to know each other. Um, but then after that uh, probationary year, you are a firefighter and you are, you, there's a graduation and you usually you have to, there's a party that's thrown and you get everybody that's in your academy that passed um, usually puts in money and you guys go drinking and have a good time. And now you're part of the brotherhood and sisterhood of, of firefighters. Um, then some departments require a certain amount of time, like three years, five years before you can promote. Um, And you can, and the next step from a, in my department from a firefighter is the engineer level. And the engineer is the person that drives the the fire engine that is responsible for every piece of equipment that's on that fire engine and has one super, well, could have two super, uh, two people to supervise, but they will supervise the firefighters and the captain, which is the next level above the engineer is in charge of everything and everybody at that fire station. And so everybody reports to the captain, but underneath the captain, he'll, he will supervise the engineer and the firefighter and the, the engineers like the Sergeant in our army, the whole department runs off the engineers. They are the backbone of the, of, of, in in the fire department Um, and the firefighters do the firefighters do all the physical work. The engineers will help them and the engineers will get in there and get their elbows dirty as well. And so will the captains when need be. But if there's any physical stuff that gets done, that's what you got hired for at that, at that time is you're doing most of the work until, because the fire, the engineer is doing other stuff. The engineer might be bringing you equipment. The engineer might be at the, at the engineer panel, pumping and giving you the adequate amount of, of water pressure for you and the captain to fight the fire. So, so everybody's got a task and a role. Um, and that's why as you promote, everybody knows what the firefighter's job is because they were a firefighter at one time until they got promoted to an engineer. And, and then once the engineer gets promoted to the captain, he knows what the engineer does and did because he had to be one at one, you know, he or she had to be one at one time. So it, it truly is a team effort, but it's also just uh, a step, stepping stool on different parts and more knowledge that you gain in the department, you know, as you start to promote. And so those, those are some departments actually have a lieutenant you know, or might have an equipment, um, an apparatus operator, uh, which I don't know because we don't have those in our department. I don't know where that fits in in the, in the, the rank structure, um, but usually the captain runs the ship or the station. And then some, some departments have battalion chiefs who are stationed at their station. Um, and that battalion chief will run several fire stations. So that's the next level up. And once you become a, a chief, you're more of a management, supervisory uh, level. And you're really not one of the people that are on the floor, as they say, which are the guys and gals that are at the station all the time.
0: Yeah. And just like a funny question, right? What does it feel like to put on those lights and kind of rush through traffic? I know only certain professions experience that. So I think it'd be interesting for you to answer that, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's,
1: it's a rush. It's, I still uh, love. I mean, I, that was probably one of the be- the best things about it, is driving code three. Um, <clears throat> it's scary uh, when you when you first become an engineer um, to actually go code three for the first time, and you're gaining input from your captain because they're telling you what to do and how to go and and, and you know telling you to go to post traffic. Some departments don't allow you to do that. Um, ours does. My, my department did. But there's also a lot of responsibility because you are driving a vehicle that it it can accelerate and get up and go, but it takes a lot, a lot more real estate for you to stop that thing. And so if somebody steps out in front of you, unless you can make that thing do an evasive maneuver and get out of the way, you're going to hit them. You know, and and it happens all the time, but uh, I have have not been in a a vehicle accident with my fire engine, but it's a lot of fun. You, You do have to have your head on a swivel because when those lights go on and the siren goes on, by law, we are asking the public for permission to go through that red light we are asking for their permission for them to move to the right not the left move to the right and get out of our way that's why we like to hog the, the fast lane or the or the center divider or um, in, in the street we like to hog the middle because you're supposed to the public's supposed to move to the right and some departments don't allow you to pass the person on the right even if the if the public gives you that opening and you're going to make a right turn and they give you the right lane you are supposed to go on the left side and make a, a turn so that they are all to the right of you. Um, and, and some of that's because of accidents that have happened where people freak out at the last minute and then they pull right into you. And so, so they try to have different rules and every department's different, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun when you are going to code three call and you're going through intersections safely that's another thing you just don't blow through <laughs> at 30 40 miles an hour through an intersection you in our in our um, in our department we are supposed to um, go through come to a stop at the intersection make sure that you've made contact eye contact with everybody in that intersection and then and see that they have yielded you their right away to you so you could proceed and then you proceed through them if you have the right of way, if you're going through an intersection and you got the green light, so you are, you've got the right of way, we are not allowed to, we're not supposed to accelerate through this, the um, intersection. We have to coast through this intersection at whatever speed we're going, 30 miles an hour, whatever it is. And our foot is supposed to be touching the brake, but not not applying it so that if we do have to, to put on the brake as we go through the intersection, because somebody freaks out and which happens, um, or decides not to give you the right away or decides to make a right-hand turn. And now they're in your way. You need to be able to stop that vehicle because you got, you know, you got 20 tons coming down the road. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of responsibility. Um, we have seat belts in there. We have airbags in there nowadays. Um, but I've actually seen, um, pictures of, engines, fire engines that have been hit from behind and have been completely flipped upside down. So you can get hurt in one of those things. That's crazy. Yeah. And you can kill people. I mean, if you T-bone a car, hit them sideways on the driver's side, there's so much energy that, that, that person's going to receive that's in that car that, yeah, you could, you could definitely have a fatality. That is insane.
0: Yeah. And it also must be frustrating when people don't, you know, like abide by the rules and don't go to the right. They're they're making up their mind. They're in the middle. And you're just like, oh, come on. Like, cause I've seen this on the streets where someone's just like, doesn't know what to do. And the firefighter is like, what the, what are you guys doing? Yeah.
1: And that happens. And it's, it, I guess, yeah, it's frustrating, but it's also, you have to be cautious because if the opposing traffic at an intersection doesn't hear you or doesn't see you, which happens a lot of the times they don't see you to the last minute. Uh, And so they're going across your, your, you know, from right to left and left to right. And you're in the fast lane or you're opposing traffic because there's no um, center median concrete center median. And and so you're passing the traffic that's going in your direction on to their left on your right. And you're passing them. And there's someone that wants to make a left-hand turn. And then all of a sudden, you know, if there's a, if there's a concrete medium and now you're behind them, they don't have any place to go if you haven't gone opposing traffic. And so you could theoretically push them into the intersection with them having opposing, uh, traffic. And then they could get hit by somebody because they didn't hear the fire engine. They didn't see the fire engine. So there's a lot of things you have to think about as a, as an engineer driving that fire engine, um, and, and about the safety of the people, because your number one thing as an engineer is to get the people that are on your fire engine or fire truck or piece of equipment that you're driving as an engineer to that fire safely and not have them be in a worse situation yeah. than when you get there. Because you can easily go too fast. You can easily rattle the people with your driving skill or lack of safety. And they're, they're back there getting tossed around as they're getting dressed and they can get hurt as well. So, you know, you have to be, you have to be a good driver. You have to have your head on a swivel. You have to expect the unexpected, which has happened to me several times. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody turning in front of you at the last minute or slamming on their brakes because they freak out or, or making a left hand turn in front of you because they freak out, you know, and they don't know what to do. And so, yeah, it's, it's. But at the same time, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> It's and an adrenaline rush.
0: I'm also curious, another little funny question. I hear a few different sounds that the fire truck makes. Is there like <clears> a <throat> button in there that you could choose? Like, I know, like when you're really next to a car and they're not moving, I've heard like it'd be a different
1: sound. Right, right. So every department's different, Um There's a high-low, which I think is what you're talking about. And it's more like the European type of a a fire uh, siren that you'll hear. Um, And the mechanical sirens that our department likes and all of our fire engines have, we kept that because it's a really distinct sound, different from like an ambulance uh, siren that kind of – because that's an electronic uh, sound. Um, and some fire departments have gone to the electronic sounding. Ours hasn't. We like the traditional old fire, uh, old siren that's a mechanical one that's, that spins up and, and makes the, the, the siren that you hear. But we do have that option to turn that on and off. It's, it's only used... When we go through an intersection, sometimes, sometimes we'll have them both. What I like to do is as I'm approaching, uh, I try and time it. So as I'm approaching an intersection, I'm ramping up the volume to go from whatever, however high it is to, to maxing that siren out and leaving it on just for a full second so that everybody can hear me. And then I let it go. So that it starts to you know come down as I start to proceed through the intersection. And then the captain also will have an option to hit the horn because he or she has a foot pedal mm-hmm to operate the horn and also a siren. So if they're not busy, nine times out of 10, they are because they're getting information. Um, <clears throat> they can operate that as well if, if I don't hit it. Yeah. So And I think I've mentioned
0: to, uh, this to you before. You, you started in the 90s, correct?
1: Yes, I got hired in 94.
0: Perfect. So I mentioned to you that after 9-11, things kind of changed. Uh, like from, in regards to the perspective that firefighters were held at, can you explain a little bit if it affected you?
1: Well, <clears throat> I think what you're talking about is, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, people kind of saw after 9-11 firefighters in, in, a, in a more positive light. We were like, and I'm, and I'm, I'm just using this word. We were golden. We were, we were not, um, something to be taken advantage of. It's like, people were proud of, of their local fire departments. It was like, I'm sorry, you guys lost 343 people, um, after 9-11. And, you know, you got, especially when some of the stories came out about these guys and gals that went into the towers. Knew that they probably weren't going to come out, but they went in anyways, and saved a lot of people anyways. Um, and I think that's what kind of opened up the public's eye to what we do, how dangerous it is, um, and treated us differently. Uh, we we have we're not allowed to take gratuities, but we would have people come down to the station and. Because the, our firehouse was in their district, you know, that uh, we responded to them and some of these people we had responded to before as well. And they would just bring us a bag of oranges or they would bring us something just because they wanted to say, you know, uh, thank you. Thank you for all the times you guys came and I'm sorry you lost, you know, some comrades. And so, um, yeah, in that respect, it was, it was nice. It was good. Um <clears throat> because we felt appreciated and, and we kind of we always take the extra step and go the extra mile, but but after 9-11, it, it made us a lot more proud of what we did as a profession, as a career, but also take our public more, bring embrace them more because they were embracing us more. And and it really it, it opened up a lot of guys' hearts, like okay, I don't have to be this big old tough guy. You know, it's, these people love us, you know, and they appreciate when we show up. And it, it was a good feeling, you know, and, and every 9-11, you know, I, my wife and I think about those guys and gals that lost their lives and, and the stories that come out from that, that you hear on TV about what these people's um, lives were like, but also what their families were like, because a lot of it's been so many years now, a lot of their kids are now firefighters at their stations that their uncles or dads or brothers or moms worked at. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So you mentioned there's a lot
0: of loss in firefighting or like being in on the, on car, on the car or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but what does it feel like to save a life or save someone? What's that feeling that you get?
1: Oh man, it's, it's like none other. It's, it's a feeling of accomplishment. It's a feeling that everything you did and all the training you went through paid off. And especially when you save a life that when you got there, they were dead, or maybe they, they expired while you were on the call just because you couldn't bring them back. But then at, but then at some point, whether it's, it's still on scene or on the way to the hospital, you bring them back and, and to, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just a, it's a good, it's a great feeling. You feel proud of your, of your crew and everybody that helped out. You feel proud of your department. You feel proud of yourself and the training you went through to get you to be able to perform everything and everything worked. And that person came back, you know, and probably a small percentage of the people that we save we ever see again, but th- there's that 1% or that half percent that that those people will reach out and try to find out who is on that call, all the people that were on that call, because you can have uh, sheriffs, you can have uh, PD, you can have your local ambulance if your department doesn't transport, you can have two- two engine companies working on this, on this call, depending if it's, if the person has expired due to a traffic accident. So you could have multiple people there. Um, If you're medevaced out by helicopter, you can have a helicopter crew and you'll have people that will try and find everybody that was on that call, even the dispatcher and thank that, thank them for what they did. And and those, you know, you kind of, you kind of feel, you feel really good about it, but it's also, it's like, that's my job. That's what I chose to do. And that's what I got trained to do. And I'm glad you're alive. You know, I'm glad it all worked
0: out. Very humble. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, so you mentioned that 90% of the calls you go on aren't really fire related. Did you say that they're more?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what the percentages are now, Mm. but, but yes, I'm sure they're in the nineties, 85 to 90% of what we do now is not fires. Yeah. So
0: when it's like a big, like California wildfire, what is that experience like getting like um, trucks and departments from other states, even countries at times to help the, the, help the force and the department like turn off that fire. I know like where we're at located, there was a, a big fire, maybe four, four or five years ago, the Thomas fire. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, so, so there's, here in California, we, we have fires. That's one of our seasons. And so we have (laughs) fires almost every summer and, and, We have fires almost from April and May all the way, depending on how hot it is and and if we're in a drought season, but we can have fires all the way till October, November, till things start cooling off, until we get our first rains. That being said, there's several kinds of fires. There's structure fires, which are a structure, whether it be a a single story house or multiple story house, but a a a residential house. Um, It could also, a structure fire could also be a warehouse. It could be a supermarket. It could be, you know, a, a commercial building that could be on fire. Um, and then there's a car fire. So those are like the three different types of fires that, that we go through, go to, and then there's the wildland fire and not every department has the capability to send equipment to a wildland fire. It depends on how the resources that the the agency that has the fire are requesting if they need type ones which are the fire engines that you see rolling down your street um <clears throat> that they're usually going to be there because the agency that request requested you wants to protect structures because the fire that's the wildland fire is burning and it's, it's going to be threatening structures. And so that they want those types of, of vehicles. And so that they get called for that. Um, our department fortunately <clears throat> started in the wildland um, era. We started, that's how we started our department. We, our community was much smaller. We didn't have the, the amount of people And we didn't have that many structure fires. And so mainly it was just wildland firefighting. Well, we've we've retained that original uh, part of us. So we have type ones which are your normal city fire to, uh, fire engines. And we have type threes, which are the ones that like the forest service that we have here, um, can go They're They're six wheel drive vehicles. They can get up into a uh, get off road and they can pump, um, water as well as move at the same time. Whereas your, your type one can't, once it pumps, uh, it's stationary, it can't pump and roll at the same time. So those are the differences, um, <clears throat> But when you hear the tones go off and your tone goes off, and usually what happens is, is over over the dispatch system, you'll get tones, your, your lights might go on, uh, your tone for your station will go on, um, and you'll hear other tones for other stations go on. And that's how you know you got a big fire. It's the real, de- real deal. Usually if just your tone goes off and they're saying there's a structure fire, and you don't have other tones going off, then it, it, sometimes it's not it's not the real deal. It could be, but you never know. So you always have to be ready, but it, it's, it's an exciting feeling. I mean, you get an adrenaline rush, your heart rate goes up, put on your turnouts, you start to sweat because you're anticipating having to work now. Uh, plus the equipment is hot. Um, it, it, it retains your body heat. So you start sweating right away um, <clears throat> and it's exciting. When you have the wildland fires, it's a little bit different. The, the equipment you put on, yes, you have, um, Uh, flash resistant pants, you know, fire protective pants, but there's no heat or thermal barrier to protect from you getting burnt. You can still get burnt, but it's not like the turnouts, which is what you'd wear into a structure fire. It's not like that. You, our department, you have, uh, you have to double layer only on the top, not in the bottom. So your pants are single layer, but you're wearing a long sleeve t-shirt that's usually cotton. And then you're wearing a brush shirt. That's also fire resistive. And you don't put on your structure boots or your station boots. You have wild and fire boots, which are like hiking boots, um, usually leather. And and you're not wearing a, a breathing apparatus, a BA on your back, because you're breathing the air that's around you. And usually those fires you're going to travel to, unless they're in your own district. And so you have a chance to get in your engine, change all your gear, bring stuff that you, maybe that's on your engine, your fire engine, your type one onto your type three, and then you're going to this fire that could be in a different part of your county or your city, or even a different uh, community. It could be in the, in the bordering uh, county, or it could be several counties away. There's been several times we've had to go into LA and San Bernardino and San Diego, as well as up, up north, you know, to the Bay area for different fires. Um, so now you're just, you're all dressed but you got to drive. You got anywhere from you know twenty minute drive instead of, a, you know, if if it's a, if it's a fire in your area, you could have minutes, not multiple minutes, um, and so or it could be hours, you know. And we've gone to fires and and you know Kalinga several times, several years in a row when they were having a rash of fires out there. So it could take a lot of time. So you have actually time to you get ramped up and get excited and then you realize, okay, now we're on the freeway. We're going normal speed. We're not going code three and we're going to be there in four hours. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so, but once you get there, then things start to happen. You, you know, you usually get an assignment um, and then you get, you go to work, you know, hey. depending on what the assignment is.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: it is an hour. I don't know if you still want to go
0: on yeah. or yeah. is there a time limit? Um I usually don't go above like, I usually do like an hour, but it's I, maybe I could ask you just a few more questions. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I got to get something to eat though, but yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: I, yeah. If you want, we could cut it now.
1: Um, yeah, go a couple more minutes.
0: All right, perfect. We'll take um, it to the top
1: of the hour till three. Okay, cool.
0: Um, What is the schedule like and how do you get used to it?
1: Well, <clears throat> I I don't know. Everybody's different. I don't know if I would say it's the toughest thing to get used to um, if you're not used to if you're, if you are used to work in regular 40 hour work week, you know, nine to five or whatever, um, because there's several different schedules that are out there. Um, our schedule is you work four days, but not in a row. You work four days with a day off in between. So you might work like a Monday, you have Tuesday off work. Wednesday have Thursday off work Friday, have Saturday off and you work Sunday. So you're working four days with a day off in between, and then you get four days off in a row, uh, after Monday, after that, that last fourth day, and then it starts over again. And then, so whatever that, that fifth day is, whether it could be, you know, a Saturday or a Wednesday, you start over again. So you'd work, let's say it's a Wednesday, you'd work Wednesday, and then you'd work Friday and you work Sunday, and then you work, you know, Tuesday. So it it changes like that because you are working a, a 24 hour day. Um, so once you're on that kind of schedule, it's actually quite nice because you got days off in the middle of the week. And so you can go grocery shopping or get your bills done or, or you know, errands done when everybody else is at work, you know, and so that's kind of nice. Um, but it it can, it's a, it's a double-bladed sword because if you have a family um, and your wife's working or your significant other's working, They don't have that schedule. The public doesn't have that schedule. They usually have a regular Saturdays and Sundays off, and that's it. So, You might be working on a Saturday or a Sunday and you're definitely going to be working holidays. You know, you're probably going to be working anniversaries and, and birthdays. And so unless you can schedule someone to work for you on those days and get those days off and don't expect that your rookie year, um, (laughs) because you're expected to work your rookie year, your, your schedule, and you're expected to work whenever any big fires come up, we want you, you, we expect you to work those big fires, you know, um, but it's usually the family. It's usually your family that has a hard time getting used to it because when you sign on the dotted line, you know, you're, that's what you're expected to do. And the families have a hard time with, okay, this is another Christmas you're missing. This is another Thanksgiving you're not going to be at. And that's hard on families, you know? Um, But as far as the individuals, the firefighters, everybody likes the schedule and they're, they're different. Like I know, and, and I could get this wrong. I know like, um, San Francisco city fire department, they have a really weird schedule where they work three days, but with a day off in between. And then they have another day, a fourth day that they work a 12 hour shift, not a 24 hour shift. And and then they, they change. I don't, I don't know how many days off in a row they get. And then they repeat the cycle. Um, our local city fire department here, um, they do three days. So they work, They might work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then they get four days off in a row and then it repeats itself again. So every department's different. And that's one thing you have to find out when you're, when you're applying for that department, you know, what's their schedule, work schedule like.
0: Yeah. So what's it like working 24 hours in a row?
1: It's not that bad because people think we're up 24 hours and you could be, you could be, if you're at a busy station, Um, you could be, if you're at a, big department, like in LA city where they've got multiple stations that they're up. They, they don't even get a chance to have breakfast, dinner, or lunch. They're, they, they, you know, they're, they get in a 24 hour time period, they could get 26, 30 calls, you know, so it depends. Um, but it's tough. Um, We're not, fortunately, this, my department, that's a medium, a small, medium-sized department. We don't get that many calls. I I think when I left, we had 15,000 calls a year. I don't know what we're at right now. Um, But that's enough where our busiest station, um, you're getting a call almost every day. And that's mixed between three shifts. So you're not, you know, you're not there all the time. So when you're on your days off, you're not, obviously you get a chance to- to recoup and do whatever you want to do on those days off. But um, you look forward to those calls, you know, even if they're the frequent flyer, it's like, okay, we got a call, you know, let's go, let's go see what, what this is about, you know, and and you get a heads up from dispatch. Um, And so there's those calls like, oh, we got this call again. You know, we got the, Yeah. I don't know. Everybody has a different attitude. I always come in with, you know, a good attitude. It's like, okay, we got a couch fire. Okay. We got a couch fire. Let's go put it out. We got a dumpster fire. Okay. We got a structure fire. Okay. Game on. Let's go. So um, everybody's got a little different attitude, but um, it's fun for me. It was fun. I love the schedule. Um, And we do get to sleep. We do get to sleep at, at our own normal, you know, um, Sleep rhythm that we have. Yes, you get interrupted sometimes, um, and it, it could not be for. It could also not be for a call. You could have the district next to you get a call and because they're a busier district than you are, you might get a call because you have to move up into their district until they're off of that call. So they can get back into their district so that you could go back to bed and back to your station. So it's just part of the job, but once you learn, um, you know, what to expect and, and your body gets accustomed to it, and that's the hardest part is your body getting accustomed to it. Um, it's, it's easy. It's mm-hmm. easy, you know? Yeah. And what's some advice
0: you could share for people that are interested in uh, joining a fire department or pursuing firefighting?
1: Um, Check your local or a local city community college that has a a fire academy program, because that will, you'll, you'll be doing it. You'll be actually doing what you would do. If you got hired by a fire uh, department, you'd be going through their little mini academy and you're getting college credits for it. Um, It's not easy, but it's not Hard. I mean, it's hard, but um, it's doable. It's definitely doable, um, and and that will shed a light on. Hey, do I want to do this per- profession? Is it? because people, guys and gals, have done it. Where okay, they find out that they're afraid of heights. And it's like, okay, this is not (laughs) going to be the job for you. Or they find out that they're claustrophobic and they can't put that, that mask, that BA mask on and, and feel comfortable about it. You know, because when you go into a structure fire, it's dark. You might not even be able to see the hand, your hand in front of you. That's maybe a foot and a half to two feet away. The smoke could be that thick. And even if you have a flashlight on your helmet or on your chest, that's hitting it all you see is it's uh, it's like a whiteout when you go skiing, it's just white because you can't see. So, um, you know, that freaks people out. And so it's like, no, nope, that's not the job for me. And then lastly, um, uh, the medical aspect of it, you know, you are going to be dealing with different body fluids that you might not, it might not be the job for you, you know? And, and when I mean that the call that you go on, Maybe the person pooped in their pants. Maybe they urinated in their pants. Um, maybe they threw up. They're they're intoxicated. Um, so those are the types of smells you're gonna you're gonna smell and have to see. Um, and that person also might have those materials, body fluids on them that you have to deal with. And so you know you might have to, especially as a, as a firefighter, um, you might have to rub. rub um, wrap them in a highway blanket, you know, to protect them, but also to protect their body fluids from getting on you. So there's little things like that that, you know, you might have to get down and dirty and get in there and do that kind of stuff because you're the rookie or you're the firefighter. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And is there any last remark you would like to end on?
1: Um well <clears throat> there there was a a post that a, a firefighter had written, and um, I'm trying to look for it on my phone. But uh, it, it it was something to the effect of somebody asking a firefighter, "Well, well, what do you make?" And the response was, "Well, I'm going to butcher it, but something you, about you can search it up. Okay, yeah, me, I can edit me, it out. Okay, or okay, okay, edit it out. Then People me, could could wait. Let me find it real quick. Um.
0: Also, Rick, I want to let you know, you are one of the best, like, interviewees I've ever had. Dude, your storytelling is second to none, man. You are great. Oh. That was awesome, man.
1: Well, there are people that tell way better stories than I do.
0: Man, hard to believe.
1: Oh, yeah. That's, well, because, here it is. So, that that's a... um because you, you, well, that's one of the things we do. We sit around the table and we'll oh, tell yeah. about the fires and, and let's say you're doing an overtime at another station, you know? And so you come to that station and the guys will say, Hey, you were on that. Were, were you, were you on that? Were you on duty yesterday? Were you on that call? Cause we heard about it. And so, yeah. So then you start to explain to them, you know, what you did and stuff. Okay. Let me find the, okay. So. Okay. So here we go. So I got a post from a firefighter and I didn't receive it. I I just was looking and I I got it on my uh, Facebook. And so he had asked me, or he had posted, he had posted this post that, um, I don't know where he got, but it says, oh, you're a firefighter. Uh, that's cool. What do you, what I want to know Oh wait wait wait. Okay, here here. Let me start again. Okay, so I got this post from from a firefighter, and he was asked, "What do you make?" And so this firefighter responded, "I make holding your hands seem like the biggest thing in the world when I'm cutting you out of a out of a car. I make five minutes seem like a lifetime when I go into a burning house to save your family. I make those annoying sirens." seem like angels when you need, when you need them. Uh, I can make your children breathe when they stop. I can make myself get out of bed at 3am to risk my life, to save people I've never met today. I might make the ultimate sacrifice to save you and your life. I make a difference. What do you make? And, and not to be arrogant, that, that wasn't what, what his comment was, but he just wanted to put out there that we 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 give up a lot. It's not your normal nine to five job. And and it is like a service, a calling. You know, not everybody has it. Um and it's it's a it's a noble profession. You're not gonna get rich, you're not gonna make a lot of money, um, but you'll feel good about yourself. And So I responded to this guy and I said, briefly, I said, the only thing I I regret in my profession is that I didn't start earlier and that I didn't save more lives and that I couldn't stay longer. And that's the only thing I regret about my, my being a firefighter because it's a lot of fun. You meet people and that are not related to you and they are your family and you will drop whatever you need to do or whatever you're doing to go give that person a hand, whether it's cutting their lawn because they're, they broke their leg on a call or, or they broke their leg skiing <laughs> um, and they become your instant family and they will do the same for you. And it's a lot like the military, when people go to, to go into combat together and they experience those same, you know, intense, dangerous things together, you get that, you bond with those people. And, and, uh, with, uh, almost 200 men and women that I work with, I've bonded with all of them at one time or another. And it's, I would do it all again in a heartbeat if I could.
0: That was so beautiful. I really appreciate your professionalism, your humbleness, and your hard work. And I thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing your story and what it's like to be a firefighter, man.
1: That was my pleasure. Awesome. Thank you.